0: Morning, all right. Matthew chapter five, verse six is where we're going to be today. Matthew five, verse six. Um, if you're just joining us, we're going through the book of Matthew together. I want to explain really quickly why we're doing this. So, I was in Florida a few weeks ago, and one of I was having dinner with a pastor friend, a friend I used to serve with on staff. He's still at the same church for 20, 25 years. It's amazing. And he said, so what are you, you preaching? on?" I said, we're going through Matthew. And he just looked at me. He's like, you do know how long that is, right? Like, you sure about that? I said, yeah, I, I, I'm feeling the length. Uh, but but here's the thing. We, we just presume to know a lot about Jesus. Our culture is interested and curious. We just presume to know a lot. And I think if it will take our time and work through a one gospel account about who Jesus is that we would we would learn a lot and grow a lot, um, and so that's why we're doing it. It gives us an opportunity to invite others as we're going along. So I hope that you'll I hope that you'll do that. Um, and we've worked our way through the first four chapters where Matthew is very concerned about establishing Jesus' ancestry, his identity, and his purpose, and what his ministry is going to look like as we work through the gospel. And uh, we're right now here in verse five and Jesus' is long three chapter long sermon on Sermon on the Mount where he. Explains the values of of what it means to be a person of the kingdom of God, and and um, and he's going to teach specifically about how to execute those values. We're going to get to those soon. Um, Don't be too eager to get to those, by the way. They are painful. Um, And then he'll he'll do a lot of healing and a lot of good ministry that we're going to learn about. So we're on we're on our way. And um, so and so if uh, if if uh, five six is where we are, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness is the verse today. So that's where we're, we're, we're going to be. Um, Laura, I'm going to pick on you a little bit. Is that okay? How many children do you all have? Five. Your van would suggest that you have more. <laughs> but just five. And for the, for the audience, I know the answer because I had dinner in your home last night. But who's, who's your oldest? JC. JC, how old are you? Where'd you he go? Where'd he, he's back there. JC, how old are you? <laughs> he's wearing headphones. I was just kidding. That's right. So, and, they, and you go all the way down to what? Nine. Okay, excellent. I want you to think through each of your pregnancies, okay? Did you have any specific food cravings for any of the, any one child or all of them? And can you remember what they were? Okay. There were ser- okay, so for JC, was it anything in... in spaghetti. Spaghetti. Interesting choice. Not chicken spaghetti—that nasty stuff that my mom may put water chestnuts in that made me eat. Yeah, yeah, that's. Nice. <laughs> but real like hearty. Okay, very good. All right. What about for for John John, for example, or Eli? Okay. I. You know what? No judgment here. Think, yeah. My mom was smoking like a chimney when I got pre- when she got pregnant with me. So it's fine. Cool. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> I know. I could go worse, <laughs> but, it, but it is. <laughs> Sonic Orange Cream and Slush. That is very precise. Okay, maybe we will judge just a little. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. All right, okay. Like, for lunch. So you've cracked the vulnerability. That's great. Any other women would like to share something that they craved? Because I knew, oh, come on. You shook your head, so now I don't have to pick on you. My, my brother ate butter off the counter. I mean, just, my, my mom would catch him all the time with a spoon. So, so but that is very specific. Sa- salted butter. <laughs> that was new to pregnancy. <laughs> That's interesting, because spaghetti wasn't new to pregnancy. And, and, but maybe the orange. Yeah, the amount, the sheer sure volume of spaghetti, right, right. And if, so, okay, Ooh. oh, oh, oh. Anybody else? this is Yes ma'am. So the sweet and sour push. Okay, well, this is getting weird. I'm. Just I'm just so now now I want you to imagine if you can being, being one of these ladies, okay who are and they are craving this one thing, right? And it's not, some, like, it's not like if you're craving the orange sickle, you can go to McDonald's and get a milkshake. That's just not going to do, right? The, the, only, the only solution to your hunger and satisfaction at that moment is that exact specific thing, right? So, uh, that, I hope, helps you get at the idea of what Jesus is talking about here. Listen to the verse and think about this illustration. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. They, they will be filled. Um, if there are these moments in our lives that we just now, pickles and fudge, not, not, not excluded, um, just the, this is the only thing that's going to satisfy me. I'm hungering and thirsting for that, and no substitute, no alternative will actually satisfy that thirst, that drive that I have, okay? That's what I want to talk about. That's what Jesus is talking about today. We all, not just pregnant women, all human beings, possess an innate and an inconsolable longing to be satisfied. There's, there, what what, what we talked about with, with the, you all is, is, is just a, one demonstration of something all of us as human beings have. That we have an innate, inconsolable drive for satisfaction. We are all Mick Jagger, okay? Every one of us. Uh, James Smith, is, I'm reading this really interesting book right now called um, You Are What You Love. Uh, and uh, this about the power of habit and other, and other, other things. But he, he says this in the second chapter of his book. He says, it's not a question of whether you long for some version of the kingdom but which version you are longing for. This is true for any human being. It is a structural feature of human creatureliness. You can't not love. okay? And because you can't not love, we spend our lives in the pursuit of having that satisfaction. And this will manifest itself in all kinds of ways. You may go after a, a boat or a bigger house, greater accomplishments, the upgraded cell phone, a spray tan, more defined abdomen. I mean, I, you know, you can go on and on and on about what it is that you're trying to get in order to be satisfied. Okay, And there's not necessarily anything wrong with any of those things at all. But if, But if you find yourself driving for satisfaction and none of those things actually satisfy, what... That's that's a part of the innate it's what it means to be human. That's what that's what's going on. And you can you can see this in lots of interesting ways. So um, again I just want to make sure you're you're getting this sense of innateness. So have you ever been to the Cheesecake Factory? Okay. Have you ever held that menu? It's like an ESV study Bible. I mean it's it's and it's completely overwhelming. It takes forever to choose something to eat because you can be Vietnamese or Cantonese or... Phil- I mean, you can have anything you want at the Cheesecake Factory. It's absolutely paralyzing. And you'll sit there for, for a good long while trying to decide what it is that you want to try and eat and always split it, by the way, because it's absurdly large. So it doesn't... The, the, the fact that you could have anything doesn't actually satisfy. And actually, you order something and eat, you're like, I mean, I mean, it was fine, but I, I bet if I should have gotten this, right? This other, this other thing. Uh, so the fact that you have any choice available to you doesn't liberate you to, toward satisfaction. It actually frustrates you and, 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 and is not satisfying at all. Y'all, this is true about my dog. I haven't talked about Roman much, who is my, my buddy. Um, uh, my, my golden doodle, I think, um, <laughs> you know, kind of not hundred percent sure. It's really just a, 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 you know, a suburban mutt, but so he, we don't have a fenced in area. And so I have to, we walk him, I have to walk him out to the front yard to go to the, to go to the bathroom. Now he has been trained to ring the, there's some bells that hang on the door and, uh, they jingle, he'll go up and bump them or And that means, hey, I I want to go outside. And usually that means I also want to go to the bathroom. And so Roman walks outside. He's got to go to the bathroom. He's got to go. It's the reason he's rung the bell. I don't want to pee inside. I want to pee outside. Thank you, Roman. Let's go outside. So I put him on the leash, and I go outside in the front yard. And inevitably, he, he can go anywhere. I don't care. I've got a bag in my hand. This gets ugly. But otherwise, like... Like, he can go anywhere he wants in our neighborhood, in our yard, if I'm willing to walk him there. He can go anywhere he wants. And because he can go anywhere, he refuses to go. He walks back and forth and back and forth. And then faster and faster and faster and faster and faster. And, faster and, faster. and finally, when the biology catch up with him, he'll just go, right? But the fact that he can go, when everywhere is possible, nowhere is acceptable for him, right? Nothing satisfies. That's the drive, it's innate in us. It's innate in life. Truly nothing satisfies. So you've got to strive for it, but you can't find anything that fits. So C.S. Lewis very famously said, If I find in myself a desire that no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. That's what Jesus is talking about, the kingdom of God. Okay? You're made for that kingdom. And if you're in that kingdom, you will hunger and thirst for righteousness, and there you will be satisfied. You will be satisfied. Now, don't don't miss Lewis's point here. Lewis doesn't say that that which truly satisfies doesn't exist. Nor does he say that the answer to this desire for satisfaction is to fight against the desire for satisfaction. I know you have that drive for satisfaction, but don't go after it. You need to, you need to quelch it. No, it's not what he says, right? He says that there is a place where satisfaction exists. It's just not in this world. It's in his coming. It's in the kingdom of heaven, right? Which gets at the very crux of the text today. Christians, people who are citizens of the kingdom of God are not people who fight to To squelch their need for satisfaction, but they redirect it to that which truly satisfies. And that's righteousness, is what Jesus calls righteousness. And if we will hunger and thirst after righteousness, we will be, we will be satisfied. John Wesley, John Wesley, founder of Methodism, okay? A very different-looking Methodism than the way Methodism looks now, but Methodism then. He pointed out, and this is interesting, that hunger and thirst are the strongest of all of your bodily appetites. Go down the list in your mind. I won't list them all. Hunger and thirst is the strongest. I mean, and and there's only one thing that will satisfy it, right? Food and drink. You can be really hungry. I'll just quote him. He says, you can give a hungry and a thirsty man all the best clothes, all the best attention, all the treasure on earth, all the honor, and he would say, I don't want any of that stuff. <laughs> I need a drink and some food, right? So the issue is not that we have longings for satisfaction. The issue is that, if, is that we attempt to satisfy our hunger and our thirst with something that won't actually satisfy it, won't actually satiate it. So Jesus says, what, what's the answer? What does satisfy this drive that we have? The answer is, Righteousness. Righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's where you're going to get filled. That's where you're going to be filled. So, really simple, really quick. What does this mean? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. Okay. Jesus is not teaching that you and I can achieve righteousness on our own by seeking to satisfy a hunger and a thirst for it through our own effort and strength. That's not what he's saying. The satisfaction that Jesus is describing that comes when we hunger and thirst for righteousness is not the kind of satisfaction that's associated with the job well done by us. Okay. So it's, praise be, it is spring. Okay. Almost really spring. Spring. We're, maybe we'll get a third or fourth winter. Sometimes that happens here. If you're not, if you're new to Middle Tennessee, that is what happens here, and we're and it's inevitable. We're going to get slammed one more time, probably, but maybe not. My blueberry bushes are budding, so so they can't. We can't lose those. People are already firing up their lawnmowers, right? So if you let your yard go about a week in this in this late spring and early summer, and it's like, man, I I got to mow the lawn. I. we're a push mower, you know, situation, it's not super big, most of our our backyard is like this, it's a huge, beautiful garden that Holly's Holly's made, but the front yard is all grass, and there's some edging that's associated with it, and kind of down the side of the house, it's very, like, I kind of like mowing the yard, I mean, first of all, it's not super, super big, but even if it was a big one, I had like a riding tractor, like, it's super gratifying to mow the yard, you you see very if you wait long enough you know you can see the progress you know, and you've gotten the edger out and you've done the, the weed eating and you know and then you get the blower and you just get it all nice and neat. It's like you know an hour to two hours of work and it's super gratifying that that sense of satisfaction that's associated with a job well done. Right? You, there's there's that. That is not what Jesus is talking about here. He is not talking about that sense of satisfaction that you gain by working toward and having your own sense of righteousness based on how good you've behaved. As good as good behavior is. That's not going to fill you up. My righteousness is as filthy rags. right? There is no you and I being holy enough, good enough, working hard enough to stand before God and Him approve. So I remember when Trey was 10 years old, he first mowed the lawn. And I, videota- I, I videotaped him. That's the most antiquated phrase I could have used. I pulled out my smartphone and recorded it. And he, you were so proud. I don't know. You, I mean, you were so proud. They had this total sense of you know, pride and, 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 and so was I. But then when he got done, it didn't look really good. It wasn't straight. You know, it was crooked. And it was like, oh, I'm going to have to fix this later, you know, because I needed it. So there's, there's no version of us work, having a good works-oriented life, doing all the things to get God's approval, and him going, you know, great job. You've earned it. You should feel very satisfied based on the righteousness that you've achieved of your own effort. It's just not the way this works. That's not what Jesus is teaching. We don't achieve it. Jesus is not saying that if we'll just turn our hunger and our thirst toward righteousness, we will achieve that said righteousness in our own strength because now we're oriented in the right thing. No, no, no. He says we hunger and thirst for it and passive, receptive, they will be filled. Not they will get it and feel satisfied. They will be filled. They will receive it. Not they will fill themselves up, but they will be filled. This is passive and receptive language. But it's also, if you just follow the Sermon on the Mount in order, it's the only thing that actually makes sense to interpret the text. So people who are poor in spirit, people who mourn their sin and the sin of this world, people who live humbly and meekly in their relationships with everyone else, would not then conclude that if they would just turn their hunger and thirst toward righteousness, they could achieve it. No, if you're you're poor in spirit and you're mourning your sin and the sin of this world and you were humble and meek in your relationships, you're hunger and thirst after the only one who is truly righteous. And that's Jesus. And what Jesus does is when you hunger and thirst for him, he gives you himself. And this is true in a legal sense and this is true in a behavioral sense. So in a legal standing before God, what is true for Jesus is now true for you if you put your faith in Him. Like you stand before God, you are a guilty human being, but Jesus stands there and God looks at Jesus and His righteousness and His payment and He pardons you. So there's a sense in which you will be righteous in a legal standing. But this is also true with regard to our uh, living out a righteous life. Life. He, will, he fills us with Himself. He gives us His righteousness. And that manifests itself in a life that looks like the life of Jesus. But it's not something that we have done on our own accord, in our own strength, in our own power, and our own effort. It is everything to do with us being satisfied with Jesus' righteousness on our behalf. Does that make sense? Okay. So what do we do with that? What what impact does this have on us? Well, let me let me let me tell you what it doesn't result in. (laughs) Okay? I'm finding the the opposites to be very helpful, okay? If you are living, if you are rejoicing and, and and satisfied with the righteousness of Jesus in your life. And it's having an impact on who you are and what you do. What does that impact look like? Well, here's what it doesn't look like. It doesn't look like you separating yourself out from the world in such a way that you have nothing to do with it. Oh, man, I'm righteous for Jesus right now, so I'm going to get away from all this insanity and all this craziness. Okay, that's not what it results in, right? It doesn't lead us to seclusion. It'll actually lead you to involvement, and I'm going to show you that in just a minute. minute. So there's an interesting uh, movie out there called um, Pig. Pig is the name of the movie. Has anybody seen this movie? Okay, great. So this is, a, this is a Nicolas Cage movie, all right? And it's excellent. Nicolas Cage is actually excellent in this movie. Not just, and I'm, I'm not a, well, never mind, it doesn't matter. But in this movie, Nicolas Cage was a works-oriented chef in the Seattle area. And he was the most widely loved and profoundly respected and admired chef in all the in all the city, and uh, his uh, uh, due to a lot of tragedy in his life, he realized that much of what he was doing was meaningless. The righteousness he was earning through accolades and accomplishments, and he decided that to to really find the meaning of life, to really truly be satisfied, he needed to live out in the woods. Uh, away from everybody, and he did that for years. Nobody even really knew what happened to him. He went out into seclusion and he lived with a pig who helped him find truffles in the woods that he then sold back to uh, the, the the restaurant scene in Seattle, but nobody knew they were they were coming from him it's really a fascinating movie, but don't don 't miss the point. The point is he was it, in one sense, he was, he was seeking righteousness, seeking accolades, seeking honor, seeking respect through his own works. Found that to be absolutely terrifying and awful for his soul. And his answer was, well, true righteousness must lead me not to live in, uh, in the search for accolades of others, but to live out in a way secluded from society. And that's not what happens with Jesus either. He said, well, Rob, with righteousness either, how do you know that? Well, follow the text. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Empty before God, okay, which leads you to mourn your sin and the sin of this world, which leads you to live humbly in your relationships with others. If you aren't prideful and are very self-aware before God and are very self-aware in your relationships with other people, the, the inevitable next step, as Jesus lines it out here for us in the Sermon on the Mount, is to, now that you're empty and void of self, is to hunger and thirst after Him. Well, what does that look like? The answer is the next text. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, they will be called sons of God. Right? That, those three verses... In summary, define what righteousness looks like. Well, look at those merciful, peacemaking, pure in heart. Those are all relationship driven expressions of righteousness. They are not seclusion. They are not not exclusionary. They are not, it's not a monk. This is not a nun. Not that there's necessarily anything wrong with those kinds of callings, but in in terms of an expression of righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus that's at work in our life expresses itself in relationship. To be merciful requires you to be in a relationship with somebody who demands mercy. They... Mercy. You know what that means? It means they are a terrible person and they deserve wrath. But you're going to be a merciful person toward them, right? People who have craved for the grace to be merciful. People who have yearned for radical purity of thoughts and feelings. People who have passionately desired to make peace. That's people who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. So that's that's what it means. That's the impact. If we are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, we are bringing that truth, that desire, who Jesus is and what he has done, the fact that we're satisfied with who he is and what he's been done, we bring that to bear and live that out in this world. That means we are merciful, pure in heart. And what's the last one? Peacemaking. Oh, wait till we get to that one. Peacemaking. So this is the way Martin Luther wrapped it up. He says the command here is not to crawl into a corner or into the desert but to run out if that's where you've been. And to offer your hands, offer your feet, offer your whole body and to wager everything that you have and that you can do. What's required is a hunger and a thirst for righteousness that can never be curbed, never be stopped, never be sated. One that looks for nothing and cares for nothing except for the accomplishment and the maintenance of that which is right in this world. We need to despise everything that hinders that end. And if you can't make the world pious through your efforts, then do what you can. And then Martin Luther would add, and then just go to bed because it's all in Jesus' hands anyway. So that's, that's the impact of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. It's not seclusion. It is involvement. It is immersion, bringing the kingdom of God to bear on the kingdom of this world. And that manifests itself through you. Like this, this is the pursuit of righteousness in Jesus results in the pursuit of your own personal holiness. But it also includes the pursuit of, of bringing the righteousness of God to bear in a socially important way. I keep, I keep bringing this up. I keep bringing this up because this is really crucial to the text. It is not just an individualized interpretation here. Jesus' intent is for us to change the world. This is why Christians have been, been in hospitals. This is why we built educational institutions and, and, and multiple charities that change from rescue missions to to food banks. This is why we do it, because we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of Jesus that he gives us, and we want to bring that reality to bear in this world. Okay, so let's let's do that. Let's do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your, your word. Help us to be people who hunger and thirst after the righteousness of Jesus. And that we bring it to bear. That we stand for and fight for oppres- against oppression. That we fight for justice. That we fight for integrity. That we fight for honor. That, we, that we, we fight for those who are harmed and rejected in this world. That we bring the righteousness of the kingdom of God to fruition here. In a way that makes much of Jesus. This is different than charities that have nothing to do with the gospel it's different than than things that have nothing to do with jesus this is the righteousness of jesus that we're bringing this is gospel grace mercy good news that's manifesting itself and bringing the the value this value of the kingdom of god to bear help us be a church that does that and may this also just personally manifest in result in obedience to your word that we can that we can say with the with with the psalmist in Psalm one nineteen that we how can we be pure by keeping your word keeping your word and we ask this in Jesus name, Amen.